This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at CosmicPotatoNetwork.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast. My name's Sean. This week, I'm featuring a conversation that I had with Scott about crisis on infinite Earths, and that's pretty much all you need to, need to know. We ha- we just sat down and talked about the crisis for an hour, and uh, if you don't know, Crisis on Infinite Earths was the CW crossover event from this year. They aired three episodes back in December. The final two episodes aired in January, and that's what we're talking about this week. So if you haven't seen The Crisis and you care about spoilers, then you might not want to listen to this episode until you have seen it. Otherwise, hope you enjoy it. Thanks. This is Michael Jan Friedman, and you're listening to Cosmic Potato, because Cosmic makes everything sound cooler, even potatoes. We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. (laughs) Welcome to Cosmic Potato. The Super Fan Talk Podcast. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. We've got you covered with everything from Marvel to Star Wars. I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to take this time to explain my evil plan. Classic films, trivia games, and beyond. Move to the coast and get together, have a few laughs. Now, on with the show. Keep the change, you filthy animal. So the sixth annual... Arrowverse crossover event started it started in December with episodes of Supergirl, Batwoman and the Flash and it finished up earlier this month with Arrow and uh, Legends of Tomorrow and this year it was called Crisis on Infinite Earths and we've really we've known that this was coming ever since Elseworlds from last year, right? Um officially, yeah. At the end of Elseworlds they announced that the next one would be Crisis on Infinite Earths, but um you know, most DC fans that have been watching any of these series have known that it's coming for quite some time. If, if nothing else, uh, from the first season of The Flash, the first episode ended with a newspaper article where the headlines, the headline mentioned the word crisis. So that mm-hmm. was their, that was their big signal bell that we all knew this would eventually come. Yeah, and as much as as much as Flash likes to play around with alternate timelines and all that kind of stuff, you knew something was going to happen. But um, DC Comics has done a version of Crisis at least twice, maybe more, because they had Crisis on Infinite Earths. I think that was in the '80s, right? Yes. And then they did again in either the late '90s or early 2000s. They had Infinite Crisis. Which it's kind of a, a way, it's really a smart thing that they do because they've got these characters that have been around since the 30s. Um, and they kind of clean up their timeline by doing this. Uh, sort of, but yeah. Yeah, because you've, got, because you've got a character that's supposed to have been born in the 30s, but he's 35 years old or whatever. So you've got to change things around and make it so that he's born later. And that kind of stuff. So they, they kind of clean things up to put everything in one timeline. But then they bring in all these other um, 
titles, like all the Elseworlds stuff, and they want to claim that all this stuff actually happened, but it happens in other universes and stuff like that. So eventually it gets all corrupted again, <laughs> and they have to yeah. they have to clean it all up again. <laughs> yeah, and, and depending on how they handle their stories, sometimes these uh, these resets or these rearrangements happen uh, more frequently than than you would like them to. I mean, you mentioned we had the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, and then there was infinite crisis and then several years after that there was final crisis and then uh they did the one year later story and then the new 52 and now they've undone that already and yeah they had the uh the the doomsday clock story uh along with dc where they've undone a lot of the new 52 and they've again massaged their timelines and their storylines to Basically, to give the readers what they want after they complain they don't like the things they had just been given. Um, and other times they're, they're cleaning up storylines and timelines. Originally, uh, Jason Todd, who was the second Robin. Yeah. I, I, I didn't even really realize this until, uh, like just a month ago or so, but the character of Jason Todd was introduced before the original crisis on Infinite Earths and he was, uh, a very different character when he was first brought in. He was very much like Dick Grayson. He even dyed his hair black so he would look more like Dick Grayson. And then as Robin, he would look more like the original Robin. Right. And then after Crisis, they rewrote his history, and he was a, a street thug who was stealing tires off the Batmobile. And Batman just kind of took him out. And so they, they make those sorts of changes uh, by using a Crisis to say, no, it wasn't that, it was this, and now let's go forward. Yeah. Is that, because I know I've seen the, I don't read a lot of comics anymore, and it's mainly because I can't keep up with all this stuff, <laughs> but I watch I watch a lot of uh, comic book related TV, and I watch a lot of the DC animated films and stuff like that, but Jason Todd came back in the comics as Red Hood, right? Yeah. But... Was that because of a crisis? Did he get brought back to life because of the crisis? Or is that something completely separate? Uh, yeah, kind of, sort of, yeah. Um, so it was, I, yeah, I think it was the Infinite Crisis storyline. Uh, and I only read it once, and it was when it first came out, and it was quite some time ago. Um, but one of the elements of the Infinite Crisis story was there was a Superman a Lois Lane and a Superboy from different uh, universes, different alternate timelines. Um, and they had been put into essentially a pocket universe. So I think when the original uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths went back and rewrote all of DC history, they were protected from it in this small little pocket universe. But I, I want to say that pocket universe was like a room basically. Uh, not a whole lot of space to work with. Yeah. And and that Superboy wanted out. So he just started punching the wall. So in a, in essence, he's punching reality. And the vibrations caused by him doing that changed certain aspects in DC reality. One of them being just spontaneously sprang back to life in his coffin. Oh, okay. And he, he broke his way out. Uh, 
stumbled around for a while, uh, was found by Talia al Ghul, and then he was tossed in a Lazarus pit, which rejuvenated him and uh, jumped out of the pit, ran away, and became the Red Hood. And then we get that whole uh, Batman storyline that dealt with that. Well, okay, so the whole crisis on the the CW crisis kind of revolves around the the monitor and the anti-monitor, um, which I remember the mon- the anti-monitor from a storyline that I read back when I was in like middle school. There was a series of annuals that came out one year, and I think it was in 90 or 91, called Armageddon 2001. Uh-huh. And it was about Wave Rider, which I know in the CW, Wave Rider is a spaceship, but in the comics, Wave Rider was a being from the future. Yeah. With and, a very 80s design. Ooh, I love that hair. Yeah, yeah. He's almost <laughs> like he was made of flames and stuff. Yeah. So he, he was going around in time and he was going to different heroes in the DC universe. And basically he was, he was touching them and he was able to see what their future was going to be for the next 10 years. Because he said in 10 years, in 2001, one of these heroes was going to become the anti-monitor. And, and I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. Because that is, I'm sorry, incorrect. Okay. Well, <laughs> the, my memory, the my memory from 91. Go ahead. Right. Well, I, I had that series as well, that series of annuals and the miniseries that went with it. I yeah. I had that, and I read it many times. I remember it. Um, the villain was not the anti-monitor. The villain for that series was the monarch. That's right. Well, I don't know. Why did that? Okay. <laughs> Why did that register in my head that I was seeing the same thing? Okay, so I'm, I'm completely off base. <laughs> the monarch. A little, little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Okay, so... So forget that I brought that up. All right. (laughs) (laughs) But remember that Scott is not too shabby on his DC history. (laughs) Oh yeah. And I am. I don't, (laughs) like I said, I haven't read comics regularly in a long time, but, um, so we found out back in the summer, they started giving us drips of information of all these people that were going to be showing up in this crisis. And we were going to see characters from DC properties, uh, spanning back to Batman 66. Um, this person's going to be in the crisis, and this person's going to be in the crisis. And I remember you and I having a conversation, I think on Facebook, where we were like, they can't possibly have all these people that are going to have like a big part to do in this, because that's too many people. They're going to oh, have yeah. like a cast of 300. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> m- most of these big announcements, oh my God, they got this. This person for their crisis, and I, you stop and think about it for a moment, and you have to realize, yeah, they got them for a scene. Yeah, At yeah, probably most. one scene, or or even less, you know, just a shot, or something like that. And one of the, you know, Kevin Conroy was in uh, several scenes throughout one episode of the crisis. That makes sense. But Burt Ward, he's not going to be a substantial character. Come on. Yeah, yeah, and and. And I was like, well, he's definitely not going to put on the Robin costume. There's no way. <laughs> no. He doesn't want to do that, and we don't want to see that. You know? Exactly. And so, yeah, that f- the first episode of The Crisis, which was an episode of Supergirl, um, yeah. he, he shows up in the f- very first, at the very beginning. We're already seeing this wave of 
antimatter going through the galaxy and and destroying Earths. And one of the ones that we see is Earth 66. Ha ha. And, and we see Burt Ward walking his dog and he's wearing a sweater that's kind of kind of the Robin colors. And the sky yeah. turns all red and he says, holy crimson sky of death or something like that. And that's it. That's all we see. That's all we see of him anyway. Yep. And and then we also and go he, ahead. He pulled, he pulled a Patrick Stewart with that because I you, you have to know that, uh, you know, that's old, old Dick Grayson walking around with his dog because Burt Ward is big into some highfalutin uh, <laughs> overpriced dog food. And he's he's big into uh, rescue dogs and, and fostering. So, you know, he had to say, I'm bringing my dog. He claims his dog food can make your dog live like 50 years or something like that. Yeah, uh, he, he's he's full of crap. Yeah, there's no way. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll tell you that for nothing right now. He's full of crap. Um. We also they also said and and I did go back and look at some of the headlines after I saw the crisis. I went back to see what some of the announcements said because I posted some of the announcements on the Cosmic Potato page. Um, mm-hmm. When they said that Batman '89 was going to be in the crisis, I got excited when I heard that. But I went back and saw, and they never said Michael Keaton was going to be in the crisis. They just said that Batman 89, the the Batman 89 universe was going to be in the crisis. Right. And and they were right. They showed uh, Earth 89, and all we saw was Robert Wall. (laughs) And he looks up at the at the sky as it's turning red, and he sees the bat symbol, and he and he says something like. I hope you're out there, big guy, or something like that. I was like, okay. Yeah. So we didn't even see Batman. <laughs> and I, I think I saw a shot. I don't know if this made it into the into the final edit for Crisis, but uh, they had done a page for the Gotham newspaper saying that uh, Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle were getting married. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I saw a picture of that online, but I don't know if that made it into the show. If it did, then it would have been on the newspaper that uh, Knox was reading when he looked up and said, I hope you're watching big guy. <laughs> well, that would have updated the canon a little bit because it looked, because at the end of Batman returns, it was kind of questionable if, well, I mean, Selena Kyle basically died in Batman returns, but then we see a silhouette of Catwoman at the end of the show. So, or at the end of the movie. Yeah. Cause she, so. you know, she, she still had that one life left. So yeah. she's fine. Yeah. It <laughs> better make it last. Um, okay, so the, the first night of the crisis kind of left me a little disappointed because I was a I was afraid after I saw that first episode that they had hyped something too big and that they weren't going to be able to deliver what they had promised because they spent they spent a lot of time introducing everybody, getting everybody all in the one place, and then it seemed like the the big um, climax to the episode was just everybody comes together to fight a bunch of shadow demons and it was kind of like a video game like we were watching a video game we're just what these bad guys just keep coming at them keep coming at them and they keep fighting them and fighting them fighting them and then everybody runs away and arthur holds them off as long as he can and then the, the oliver the, huh you said arthur i'm sorry i meant oliver <laughs> oliver he's an archer 
Yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, and then the the big the the spoiler, which you, it, if you haven't seen the crisis, we're gonna be spoiling a lot of stuff. He uh, oh yeah, he gets killed at the end, you know, at the end of that episode. And but at the end of it, I was just like, that's that's it. I mean, the whole thing was we gotta we gotta keep this tower standing and fight these shadow demons, and then and then and then. Oliver gets killed, and that's it. I was kind of disappointed at the end of that episode. Yeah, I, uh, I, it was, it was a gutsy move to kill Oliver Queen in the first episode of the crossover, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, aside from that, that, that first episode suffered from what I think what a lot of the CW shows, at least the superhero shows, uh, suffer from most of the time. And the crossovers especially, um, and this episode was really bad for it, which is you have to sprint through all this stuff because we have to lay down all this exposition and we have to get everyone in place and we have to keep the story moving, but we only have 42 minutes to do it. Mm-hmm. And with the way that the CW makes these shows and I don't want to, I don't want to come off as overtly insulting to either uh the the showmakers or to the 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 larger audience but it has to be said the way that these shows are written it's in a way where it's very easy to understand and sometimes in order to do that it takes a lot of time to lay down a lot of dialogue that's going to spell out everything that's happening in the simplest possible whereas on for example I compare the writing style of the CW show to something like The Watchmen on HBO. Mm-hmm. Incredibly different writing styles because for Watchmen, the expectation is that you're dealing with a, a more mature audience, a more discerning audience, and they let the performances tell more story than you do on the CW show. On the CW, the script has to bear all the burden of telling the story. Whereas on a show like Watchmen, you tell the story with script and performance and facial expressions and the set and the camera work. You use all the tools in your tool bag to put story across. On the CW, they've got to put most of it on the writing because they don't have the bite for the production value. And it's not always the greatest performers in the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they did that whole... Um that whole scene in the first episode of uh, Superman of Clark and Lo- Clark and uh, Lois, and they were at is it Argo City? I think they I think they call it New Argo. Oh, New Argo. Okay, but they try to they try to make it look like the Superman origin stories, like the the planet's about to be destroyed, so we're gonna put our baby into a shuttle and send the baby somewhere else, and they do that with their baby, you know. But then they get to uh, Supergirl's Earth, and Supergirl is told, oh, the planet was destroyed, Superman and Lois didn't get off. And then Superman just kind of comes around the corner and says, oh, no, we're fine. <laughs> yeah. We had okay. a very they, – they tried to make a big heart, heart-wrenching scene and then turn around like the next scene and undid it. And it was yep. like – what what was the point of that? Now it's like, oh yeah, we're fine. We need to find our kid though. We don't know where we sent him. 
Yeah, that that that's going to happen th- throughout this entire crossover. There's going to be things that I, you see it, and it's a nice moment, but then by the next scene, it doesn't mean anything because they're. I think it's a byproduct of having to rush through this so quickly that yeah. they don't realize. Oh, you know what? We we took a couple steps that we didn't have to take. We could have gotten to this point much more quickly. All we had to do was sacrifice this moment standing at the ship and saying goodbye to our son, which is a nice bit of parallelism between Superman's origin and and now Clark and Lois and their kid. But do we need that parallel? Yeah. Does it really serve the story? Not really. It's a nice moment, but it's a nice moment for its own sake and nothing else. And we're going to, in our discussion, everybody, our, our, we're going to jump around. We're not going to go blow by blow, this happened and then this happened. Uh, because if we did, we'll be talking about this for five hours. <laughs> right. But um, I wanted to jump ahead to, to the end. The, the last night, there was a scene where we find out that uh, they've changed everything. And... All of these uh, Earths are now one Earth, like Supergirl and the Flash and uh, Black Lightning. They all take place now on the same Earth. And Kara has a discussion with Martian Manhunter where he says, we remember that the way things were because we were the, we were two of the Paragons. But then we also get a scene where Clark, Lois tell, says something to Clark about his kids says kids, you know, because they only had one kid. Well, now they've got two right. kids in this new reality. But Clark remembers having one kid. But Clark wasn't one of the Paragons. So how does that work? How does that work? <laughs> that, that that works by the writers not paying close enough attention to the the rules that they're setting for people keeping their memory. Yeah, yeah. Clark should not have remembered that unless he's just he's just the the one guy that's got like the magic brain that can remember everything. Well, but, I, I have a, I have a strong suspicion that they will find a way to explain why he could remember because they, they will have absolutely noticed online people saying um, he's not supposed to remember. And the writer's going to say, oh, deuces, they're right. He's not supposed to remember. Okay. And the first episode of his ongoing series with uh, Lois, we're going to have to explain why he remembers because their series is it's already been ordered to series without even a pilot. Right. The, the CW has ordered that to a, to a full series, so they will work an explanation in there. Yeah, I don't really know if you need a pilot for him because he's already been he's been in the CW universe for two or three years now, right? So we've seen yeah. we've seen him enough to know whether or not we want a series. I do yeah. want a super. I do want a Superman series because there hasn't been a Superman TV series on the air since Lois and Clark, I think. And other than, uh, other than Smallville, right. other than Smallville, uh, uh, so Smallville and the animated series, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I do want that, but this is this is going to be a Superman that I that I don't know because I don't I've never seen a Superman series where they had kids and all that kind of stuff, you know. So this is going to be a, a a different uh, a different version of Superman than I'm used to, but yeah. So the Batwoman episode was also kind of formulaic because what do you do when you, when you've brought together this huge team of people, uh, you've got to split them up into smaller teams. Immediately break them up. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, 
So the the monitor looks in the Book of Destiny and he sees that there are seven paragons, and uh, so Kara is the paragon of hope, Sarah is the paragon of destiny. The alternate Superman that, which we're going to talk about this in just a minute, the alternate Superman that Brandon Ralph plays is a, is the paragon of truth, and and then we also find out that there is going the paragon of courage is a bat from the future is what they say, and they assume that that's going to be the Kevin Conroy Batman um, from Earth-99. We'll talk about that, too. I want to talk about this alternate Superman for a minute because they said in all the stuff that leading up to this that this was supposed to be the Kingdom Come Superman. I'm pretty sure that's a nickname that was given probably by the fans before it was used by any of the production staff, but yeah. Just because he had a little bit of gray in his hair and he had that black Superman S on his shirt. Yeah. Because the, the the Kingdom Come Superman was not Superman. He had he had he had quit being Superman. He was living on a holodeck somewhere, um, just well, farm, but, fake farming. <laughs> but stop stop and think about it for a second. Just because he stops going out and doing the work of Superman, does that mean he is no longer Superman? He's Clark. He, I mean, I've always said that 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 Superman has uh, has three personalities. There, there's three uh, personalities to Superman. You've got Superman, which is the which is the the hero that everybody know. Everybody that's the name that everybody calls him. Then you've got Clark, which is the identity that he uses to hide who Miles he really is. Reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got Kal El. Kal El is who he really is. And the people that know him the best, they call him Clark, but his, but who he really is, that's Cal, he's Cal El. Uh, and Clark and Superman are his actual secret identities and stuff. Um, oh God, I like that. I like that. It's very good. So if you, if you, if you're looking at a person that, that he's not putting on the Superman costume anymore and he's not going out into the world and doing the heroic things and all that kind of stuff, then he's not Superman, but he's still, Himself, you know, he's Kal El. Um, but this guy, I think, was supposed to be the Christopher Reeve Superman. Yeah, I think when, when people say the Kingdom Come Superman, they were not entirely accurate because it's obviously not the uh, the Clark Kal El Superman that we see in the Kingdom Come uh, comic book miniseries. Obviously, mm-hmm. not that, but. If you take the Clark slash Superman that we saw in Superman 1 and 2 and Superman Returns, because they cut 3 and 4 out of of their canon when they made Superman Returns. They ignored those two movies. But if you, And they said that Superman Returns is a direct follow-up to 1 and 2 from the 70s and 80s. And carry that character forward and have him experience a great tragedy. And this is the essentially the Richard Donner, Brian Singer, Christopher Reeve, Brandon Routh version of the Kingdom Come Superman we saw in the comics. So another alternate alternate reality. Yeah. Yeah, and you you, you say that they uh that they've taken Superman three out, but they did have that line when he first uh he starts to fight uh, with the CW version of Superman, and and then uh, he says, "Oh, don't worry, I've 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 had to fight versions of myself before." 
bugger, you're right. That does yeah. bring three in the fold, doesn't it? <laughs> I will choose to believe that somewhere along the line there was another instance, there was another adventure that included uh, uh, an evil version of himself or perhaps a bizarro version. Bizarro uh, and Superman. We, yeah, I'll just say it was something that we never saw rather than him referring directly to Superman 3 because Superman 3 sucks. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> 3 and 4. Uh, oh, yeah. 4 was even worse. But I, I love watching it just because it's so bad. Well, we also get... Um, Kara and Kate go to Earth 99 to find that version of Bruce Wayne, and he's uh, it's Kevin Conroy, and he's which listeners, if you don't know, Kevin Conroy has voiced Batman in the Batman the animated series, a lot of the DC animated films, the uh, the video games, the Arkham Asylum video games, all that stuff. Kevin Conroy plays has probably played Batman more than anybody else. He has, and so he played Bruce Wayne in in this, and he's he's crippled, and he's wearing like a robo suit, but he's also kind of gotten to the point where he'd rather just kill people than wait for him to turn into bad people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now that uh, that exoskeleton he's wearing is another nod to Kingdom Come, because Mm -hmm. in in the comic, Bruce Wayne, after spending so many years as Batman, his body has been so uh, busted and broken and worked over that uh, he can't really operate on his own anymore. He needs an exoskeleton to get around. Well, he's also got like a fleet of robots that he just sends out into Gotham to do the work for him. And he just kind of watches them from the bat cave. Yeah. He never goes out as Batman anymore because he has those little drones to do it for him. And I mm-hmm. suspect that if crisis had more time and more money to work with, we would have seen a scene of those. Yeah. Yeah. Truth. Um, but anyway, he, uh, so he kind of attacks, uh, Kate and Kara because, well, he's attacking Kara, right? Because he sees her as like, she's an alien threat or something like that. And Kate yeah, basically has to kill him. I shot in the face. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Kate basically has to, has to kill him to, to save Kara. And then they find out later that he wasn't the, uh, paragon of courage. She is. You know, which, you know, they could have told her that. They've got the Book of Destiny. <laughs> they they could have just looked in the, on the next page. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't have to be so cryptic, especially since uh, everyone watching knew, yeah, there's no way he's the Paragon. <laughs> Even before we, they got there. <laughs> and then we had the, the whole subplot of Lex uh, steals the Book of Destiny, and he's decided he's going to go to every Earth that he can and kill that version of Superman. And one of the um, Earths that he goes to is Earth 1, what is it, 167? Yeah, 167. And it's basically the Smallville Earth. It's the Earth from the show Smallville. And we get to see Tom Welling, and we get to see Erica Durance. uh, And we find out that, uh, what, what were you saying? Uh, I said we get to see Erica Durant again because we already saw her as uh, Kara's mother. Yeah, in the first episode, that's right. Yeah. This is actually out of the out of the entire crisis. This was the scene that I was waiting for the most. Yeah. And I knew it was just going to be one scene. I knew Tom Welling wasn't going to come back and like be part of the crossover and everything. 
but uh but yeah i was waiting to see this and at the same time i was disappointed in what i saw <laughs> because uh it was good to see him it was good to see him back it was good to see erica durant's back as lois and everything but what we found out was that clark gave up his powers after after smallville was over so that he could just be his kid's dad or whatever I'm and with. which yeah it's it's fine it's just kind of disappointing that i watched this show for 10 years that's supposed to be building up to superman and then i find out that after the show is over if you're using this as canon after that's over he never he, he didn't stay superman he was just superman for a little while and then stopped well we like, don't know how long he was superman because here's the thing we have to remember first um, the Smallville TV series, it ran for 10, so 10 years of him being a hero without being actually Superman. And then the final episode, it does jump ahead like a couple years. I can't remember how many years, but it jumps ahead a matter of years. Mm-hmm. Puts on the suit and becomes Superman. We don't really see him because they keep it at a distance because they don't want to show us actual Superman on Smallville. But then jump ahead several years. He and Lois are engaged. Something happens, he runs up to the roof, and he opens up the shirt, and he's got the S, and there you go. The series is over. So he's been Superman for a couple years then. And then there was the comic series that continued on after the TV show ended. And everyone that made the Smallville TV show has said, these comics are canon. This is what happened with our series afterward. So he was Superman for however long they ran that comic. And then from the end of that comic to the point where he gives up his powers, he was Superman that whole time. So he was probably Superman for a considerable number of years before giving up his powers. Whereas a lot of people who are complaining, I think they're not taking the time to think about how long he might have actually been put in quite a bit of time before retiring. Yeah. Yeah, then you've got you've got this uh this idea of if you're in a world that has that has Superman, that world ends up becoming so dependent on superheroes that I don't think they'd ever be able to stop. <laughs> yeah. Because we kind of we would we would kind of depend on them at that point, you know, and uh if they were to stop, things would just kind of fall apart. Well, but, I look, look at Gotham City. What what happens to Gotham when, when Batman stops being Batman? Uh, mm-hmm. Nothing good in pretty much any any version that you look at. Yeah, because the, the cops can't keep up with that many bad guys. No. Um, let's talk about John Wesley Shipp returning the, as the Flash. Oh, let's. We, yeah, when we finally see him, he's, uh, he's on a treadmill that's powering the antimatter ca- cannon. And basically, if he stops running on this treadmill, then it's going to explode, right? Yep. And and so somebody has to run it. So what they decide to do is kind of pull a Star Trek reverse the polarity kind of thing. And um, <laughs> because he, what he says is, well, so, somebody's going to have to run on it if it's reversed. What is somebody's going to have to run on it, and that person is going to die. So the Barry that we know from this version of the Flash says, well, it's got to be me because, you know, I was told I have to die in this crisis. And, you know, if somebody tells me I have to die, then that means I have to die, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, <laughs> I, I like to call them uh, CW Flash and, and Flash. 
Yeah. <laughs> that, that's helped me out by calling C- CW Flash and 90s Flash. 90s Flash tells him well, that he didn't he didn't say which Flash has to die. He just said the Flash has to die. You know, so um, so he runs on the treadmill and basically sacrifices himself to save the others. And it was it was a, a hard scene to watch, especially if you watch that old Flash series. And the fact that um, the fact that John Wesley Shipp also played Barry's father in the new series, and that character's already died. So Barry's basically watching this guy die again, you know, which is probably really hard to really hard to to deal with. Yeah, that, I know that scene was hard for me to deal with. Like that, anything that was featuring <clears throat> '90s Flash. Uh, in that episode of the crisis was tough for me because I did watch that original flash series. I still have it on DVD. It's, it's in a box behind me right now. And (laughs) I watched it when it was airing. I watched every new episode as it came out. I was very sad when they didn't get renewed for the second season. And, and to know that there's so much character history between, uh, the end of the series in 91 and when we caught a glimpse of him in last year's crossover, Elseworld, he's been the Flash this whole time. His entire world was destroyed. He's been. Yeah, he's been. We, we saw his. Around. Yeah, we saw his world get destroyed in Elseworlds, and yeah. and he was there talking with the monitor, asking why why are you doing this? And the monitor explains, and the Flash runs away, and we come to find out. Uh, he shows up a few episodes later in Elseworlds and then just vanishes again. Now we know that he was taken by the antimatter. But when we right. saw him in that obliterated Earth asking the monitor, why are you doing it? The ground was littered with heroes and mm-hmm. villains, I assume. And yep. the, the, the thrill of excitement that gave me, because I think back to that 90s Flash series and I say, wow, that show a very early attempt at doing primetime superhero hour-long drama. That world grew to have this. I would see that show continue on long enough to see all those heroes and villains that we saw laying upon the ground. Now, one of them, the Flash TV series version, you saw someone on the ground that looked a lot like that guy. So that was one indicator. Right. I would have liked to have seen the rest. I wanted that series to continue uh, long enough to see all that. Now I'm going to ask you about this. I've I've never really watched a whole lot of Green Arrow. I I um I watch them when they do the crossovers and stuff. So mm-hmm. I know you know a whole lot more about Green Arrow than I do. Um so I'll let you address the whole fact that first uh, they go they go to the underworld. They go to um a purgatory to try and get Oliver's spirit back because they had already put Oliver's body in a Lazarus pit, brought it back to life, but they didn't have his soul to put in it. Right. And they brought in Constantine and they brought in Lucifer and, um, Oliver becomes the specter or he becomes a, a version of the specter. Right. Uh-huh. And he's the, and he's the one that kind of ends up restoring the multiverse at the end of it and everything. I'll let you address that since it probably meant a lot more to you than it did to me. <coughs> kind of, sort of. I mean, I was, 
I was left a little a little cold uh, with the fact that they had to take his butt. They had to throw him into the Lazarus pit and bring him back to life because part of me was like, guys, come on. He died. He's been doing this for a long time. Do you think he really wants to come back? I think he's fine <laughs> being dead at this point. He's been through a lot. Um, and anyone who is watching season eight of Arrow will realize that a good chunk of this final season of Arrow before Crisis was serving as lead up to Crisis. I mean, the monitor shows up in several episodes of the Flash uh, of Arrow in the season leading up to Crisis because the monitor took uh, Oliver said it's time for us to go to work now. This is at the end of the last season. He said we have to go and and work on this crisis thing. So you're coming with me. So when we start uh, season eight of Arrow, Oliver is working with the Monitor and they're preparing for crisis. So they spend eight episodes preparing for the crossover before we actually start the crossover. Um, which tells me they should have given it more than just five episodes. They should have made it its own short season. A season, yeah. Yeah, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so they throw him in Lazarus' pit, and now he's a soulless, rabid body. Well, now we have to go and find his soul and bring, him, put it back in his body, and you know, try to make him whole again. They get to Purgatory; he doesn't want to leave, and then Jim Corrigan shows up. That's for DC fans, you know, that's the Spectre, and it really was just as simple as my name is Jim Corrigan. But I'm also the Spectre. Now it's your turn to be the Spectre, Oliver. That's almost <laughs> like, that's okay. script. That's almost the script that they wrote. It was painfully simple and and way too fast. Um, but it was a, a clever moment to cross over uh, the CW shows with Lucifer, which had been on Fox, I think, and then it moved to Netflix. Uh, so to bring that in with the into the CW fold, I thought was a a, a clever move. Yeah, especially since they uh-huh. had already they had asked, uh, what's the actor's name that plays Lucifer? Um, uh, oh, uh, uh, Tom, Tom Ellis. Yeah, they had asked him. He had been asked several times, "Are you going to be in the crisis?" No, I'm not, well, not going to be in the crisis because he was in Vancouver, and they said, "Would well, yep, you they, go to Vancouver to be in the crisis?" No, no. No, no, I've I've got a friend up here having a birthday, and all of a sudden I'm in a crossover. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was it was a good lie because people bought it. What'd you think about at the end uh, when since since all the heroes, all the main heroes are in the same universe now, now they can build the Hall of Justice, and they've got the big table and all the chairs around it that's got their their symbol on it and everything. What'd you think about that scene? Um. I thought it was uh, very clever. I thought it was a, a great a great way to preset future crossovers and give them a place where they can all come and launch a new crossover from, from that point, from that table. Um, I, I thought it was a good way to do it. Um, it's about time they brought Black, Black Lightning into the, into the mix mm-hmm. uh, and, and join the rest of the group. Uh, one of the better moments of that episode was right there at the end after they've lit the at the memorial fire and they all turn around and black lightnings uh it says something like um 
I don't know what, what we need this big building for. I mean, how often does this sort of thing really happen? And everyone gets, they just, without a word, they all get that look on their face that says, uh, more than you think. Life, I think, looks back and forth and says, oh, so it's like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then in, in that, the part where Kate says, don't worry, I was the newbie last year. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. And that might have been a little bit on the nose for my taste, but I, at that point, I was giving them a lot of leeway because they actually pulled off the the entire crossover better than I expected them to. Um, the the final two parts were were really overall better than I anticipated. It did have some bits that I didn't love. I didn't like that Lex Luthor just gives himself superpowers because they needed an excuse for him to you know not immediately die everywhere they went. Um, but at the same time, yeah. they never explain how Ryan Choi is able to, you know, take down these shadow demons with one punch from his very mortal, very normal body. But he's just taking out shadow demons left and right. He doesn't have any tech, no superpowers, no nothing. So that annoyed me. <laughs> um, the big final showdown between uh, Oliver Spector with a horrible Spector outfit. That costuming was not good. Um, yeah. The, the, whatever he was wearing as Green Arrow uh, before the crisis, they just changed that to a black one instead of a green one, and they gave him mm-hmm. a long green coat. Not a cloak, but a coat. And they called him the Spectre. I was annoyed. And no domino mask? He had one dot, people. Come on. Um, <laughs> so the big final fight between him and Anti-Monitor was just the two of them doing a Care Bear stare at each other until one of them wins. Annoying. I a little did, bit. Yeah, I kind of got that I, idea. There was there was a scene where they were all lined up, and I was like, "What are they? Gonna, what are they, the Care Bears?" <laughs> yeah. And when they all stood there and and they mentioned, you know, that they're all paragons. They all have they're a paragon of something, and they have to use that. And I really said to myself, "Are they really going to Care Bear stay?" Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was it was a genuine fear. Now that. Uh, also, Oliver's final scene in that fourth part where he's laying in that crib, looking up at the sky. Uh, two things about that. First, I was surprised at how bored I found myself getting immediately watching Oliver Queen die again. And Diggle even calls it out in the in the following episode. Says he died twice and I wasn't there for him. It's like, yeah, well, we were. Trust me, you're not missing much. Second death is unnecessary for that character. Just let him, you know, be gone and then say some parting words, like you know, as an actual specter. Something I learned from his interview with uh, uh, Michael Rosenbaum on a recent episode of Inside of You, his podcast. Um, Stephen Mill explains that because they were borrowing Katie Lotz and Grant Gustin from their own shows to do this Arrow episode that was part of the crossover. They were trying to get their coverage done as quickly as possible and get them out. So they filmed Katie and Grant doing their bit, and when they were done, send them away. And the rest is just Oliver on the ground delivering his final words in his second death scene of the crossover to a tennis ball because they weren't actually there. And oh, if man. you watch that the three of them are not really there. It's just the actors are just talking to someone who's not there. And Stephen Amell uh, 
laid that out clearly on the podcast. He he didn't love it, but sometimes you do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah, I think that happens a lot, especially when you're dealing with uh, uh, digital characters and stuff. But usually, when you're dealing with live actors, they don't normally do that. But <laughs> uh, the one the one thing that uh, I didn't like. I kind of got a kick out of the people calling out that they're in a crossover. It's like, what did you get pulled into another crossover? That kind of stuff. That actually made me laugh a couple of times. But there was there's this thing that they did with Oliver where he would look at Barry and he would say, "Do you trust me?" And Barry'd say, uh, "With every cell in my body, or something like that." You know, the mm-hmm. first time they did that, it was touching. You don't have to do that three times. You know? Yeah. You can let that go after that. We get it. <laughs> yeah, but and and there are other things that seem to be evergreen. Like with very few exceptions, I almost never get tired of hearing someone look at the flash and say, "Run, Barry, run." Yeah, and we haven't heard that in a while. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I did like that. I did like also like that John Diggle uh, got his daughter back. That got erased in Elseworlds. Uh-huh. Because or not, it wasn't in Elseworlds. It was in Flashpoint. Because uh, Barry accidentally right, changed right. history and made it uh-huh. so that instead of him having a daughter, he had a son. And that's always kind of plagued him. It's like I'm supposed to have a son, and I've got a daughter. That I got a, a, a son out there, or the other way around. Anyway, yeah. This other child that I had is gone now, and I don't even remember him. Well, now he's got both. You know, so that was that was good to see. A nice, nice moment. They're 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 making him happy before he has to uh, get pulled away to become a Green Lantern. I'm wondering how that's going to play out in the Flash. If um, is Cisco going to have his brother back when they since since everything is kind of uh, changed now? Because you know, in Flashpoint, Barry kind of caused his his brother to be killed. Yeah. And I'm wondering if they're going to undo that. I guess we'll that, see. Uh, that, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I've not been able to keep up on the shows. They've had a few episodes air since the crossover ended, but um, I'm I'm without internet for for about a month. So yeah, I haven't seen I, it either. I really keep up on everything. I've been meaning to catch to catch up. I was I, I I thought it would be cool if suddenly like his dad would be back or. Or his mom would be back and his dad's gone or something, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about John Cryer as Lex Luthor? I, I, this is the first time I've seen him because I I've kind of fell behind on Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought he was okay Yeah, I, for the, I, ver- the I think version his, of Lex Luthor that they were doing. Yeah, his performance is fine. Um, I, maybe the script isn't always great, but uh, I think he's doing a fine job with the character. It, over the course of this crisis... I felt there were some points where he might have been hamming it up a little too much. Um, Lex Luthor has the capacity or the potential to be a really great, intimidating villain. But Cryer seems to be taking a lot of pages from the Gene Hackman, Kevin Spacey school of Lex Luthor, which is to make it you know, a little menacing, but with a heavy dose of camp. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I suppose that's kind of fitting for the CW universe. They're not exactly yeah. subtle. I really wish Michael Rosenbaum had been in this crisis, at least for one one scene. But one character that we did get to see that we didn't uh, expect to get to see 
was the DCEU version of the Flash that showed up. Yeah. And uh and uh had a scene with Barry. And you know, they were completely done. They they finished the flat, the, the uh, uh crisis was in the can. Mm-hmm. And uh they got a call. It's like, "Hey, um what's the kid's name that plays Flash in the in the movies?" Ezra Miller. Yeah. They called and they said, "Hey, can he be in the crisis? Uh, yes, he can. Well, I thought you were done. Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we can get everybody together for one scene. No problem. We'll make it work. And that, yeah. you'll notice that it was it was just the two of them. Yeah, that's the easiest yeah. way to do it. But um, you know, put the two of them in a scene, build it up, write it real quick, film it, and then just find a place to plug it in. And and sure enough, they did. I, I think it it flowed pretty well. Um, it didn't seem like too much of a uh, out of place scene. Um, th- there was, uh, I'll, I'll put it this way: there was no, no better place for them to put that scene. Yeah, and it didn't. It, it's not like the, yeah, it's not like the, the story hinged on it or anything like that. But yeah. um, it, if they can get an Ezra Miller Flash movie made, which they keep saying that it's going to be a Flashpoint movie, if they can, if they can ever make one. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if they worked into the deal somewhere. Um, hey, can Ezra be in the crossover? And how about this? When you film this scene, give us permission to use it. So if they make a Flashpoint movie, I would mean that instead. Um, so we can see that scene from Ezra's standpoint, because that is where he got the name, The Flash. He hadn't mm-hmm. used it in uh, Batman v Super. He hadn't used it um and I don't think they even mentioned it in Suicide Squad in that brief shot that we that we had of him as the Flash. Um, they've never used the name Flash for him. Mm-mm. And when Barry mentions it, uh, when when CW Barry mentions it, DCEU Barry seems to like it and like it's unfamiliar to him. So I think that's where he first heard the name The Flash. So when he gets his own movie, I think they're going to make some sort of reference that he figured out a good name i learned it from this other me yeah and i also liked that uh they had to make sure they had the whole part of uh they're checking out each other's costumes they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. your, costume, your costume looks comfortable oh yours looks safe and they're like touching each other's costumes like yeah we're gonna make sure everybody knows that we're not just splicing together two shots like these two guys are in the same room <laughs> yeah and also i I think my favorite part of that was was C.W. Barry describing it as looks really safe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. All right. Well, that's pretty much all I've got. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Um, I think a clear indication that Oliver is not actually dead, but continues on as the specter, um, living you know somewhere outside reality which means he can come back whenever Stephen Amell feels like coming back and making an appearance in the CW universe. Um, I like that they left a multiverse in place with clear indications that every other DC property exists in its own universe. Um, DC universe, doom patrol. That's its own universe. Mm, DC universe. Yeah. DC universe, uh, Titans, they have their own reality. Um, they even brought back the old the old birds of prey from back in the early two thousands. They even brought them back. 
Right. And did, yeah. a, and did a scene. But I think it was just just the actor who played uh, Huntress on that show is the only one we saw. But I think right. yeah. I, confirmation needed on this one. But I think they got Dina Meyer to record voiceover as Oracle on the other end of that uh, comlink. But I'm not, I'm not sure about that one entirely. Yeah, me either. Um, and we also got a glimpse of Stargirl, who is going to, uh, that's actually going to be on CW and DC Universe. That's an interesting, uh, uh, kind of, kind of bridge between those two. So yeah, we'll see if they capitalize too. on that later. Yeah. So, well. the, the, the only thing that I regret is that I cannot immediately find the crisis and see what the shows are doing with it now that it's done. Because it's such a big event, it has to have lasting effects on every series. Now, Arrow is already done. At the time you and I are recording this, the series has wrapped, and it's aired its final episode, it's over. But Flash, Supergirl, Batwoman, Legends of Tomorrow, I'm really interested to see what effect the crisis is going to have on all these shows but it's going to be several weeks before I can get into it and see what they've done. Uh, hopefully they will make the best use out of it. They can and really try to capitalize on it rather than try to return to the status quo as quickly as possible. That would make this whole thing a waste and that would disappoint me. Yeah. And I wouldn't expect for next year's, uh, crossover to be nearly this big. This is, a. Uh this is going to be something that this is something they built to and it's something that they're going to they're going to have to build up to do this they're not going to be able to do something this big every season yeah i i think what's much more likely is that when we get to the 2020 and 21 television season we're not going to see one big crossover like we've seen for the past several years we're going to see multiple smaller crossovers because now that everyone's on the same earth it's much easier to make this happen you can do a crossover with Supergirl and Black Lightning and then two weeks later you can have Flash crossover with Legends and then two weeks after that uh, Flash and Supergirl can have a show together they can do these smaller interactions throughout the season instead of one big event but give it a couple of years and they'll want to do another big event and I think that Armageddon would not be a bad one yeah yeah, it would be interesting to see what a a possible future for some of these characters, what they would be like ten years later or something like that. Yeah. Now the 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 villain in that crossover, the monarch, uh, the the big mystery of that miniseries was who is the monarch, and originally it was going to be Captain Adam, who we have not seen him in the CW shows so far, but he was a big hero in the DC universe back then. He was going to turn bad and be the monarch. But that information leaked before the series was completed and released. So right in the middle of it, they changed who was inside that suit and they made the monarch someone else. Yeah. Now, I won't say specifically who it was for anyone who wants to go out and find the comic and read it. But I will say that they would have to change it again if they wanted to make this a CW crossover because the person inside the monarch suit We'll say that we have seen him, but he's in a different universe. He's not in the CW. 
Mm. So it would be it would either take a really creative crossover or a character change. Right. Which I would I would imagine that's probably what they would do. That's what they I mean, that's what they do. They already change stuff around because they're putting characters in situations that they weren't in in the comics because, hey, we, we don't use that character. They don't really have Batman in these in these uh, universes, so they kind of they kind of have to use Batwoman as a stand-in for Batman for some of these stories and stuff like that, you know. So yeah, like in Flat, I mean, they did Flashpoint, and they didn't even have Wonder Woman and Aquaman in the universe, and the the, the Wonder Woman versus Aquaman is a big part of Flashpoint. Yeah, you know. So and the, and so is the Thomas Wayne Batman. We didn't see that either. It's, I mean, they, 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 that's why they have to say that these stories are inspired by the comics and not really based on the comics. Because exactly. it's kind of like, that That looks like Wayne's Basement, but that's not Wayne's Basement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was outstanding. <laughs> all right, well, that's, that's all I've got. I guess I'll close things out. Let everybody know where they can find you. You can find me here on the Cosmic Potato Network hosting the Prime Direction. New episodes uh, should be resuming in March, hopefully. Uh, find the show on Twitter at Prime Direct Pod. You can find me on Twitter at Fleet Admiral UFP. That stands for United Federation of Planets. I talk a lot about Star Trek, and sometimes I complain about my sad lot in life. Um, if you want to see any of my other side work, I'm also an artist. I do freelance graphic artwork uh, by commission. You can see some of my work on Twitter at Planet Rise or visit my website, www.planetrisecreative.com. All right. And if you want to find out where you can find, uh, if you want to find out how you can get in contact with us here at this show, just stay tuned and uh, announcer Nate will let you know in just a minute. And until next time, John's not here to tell you what he'll say next time. So So take care of yourselves, and we'll see you on the next episode. Be sure you like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Or send us a voicemail or text message to 205-642-8380. Help the show grow by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. Thank you for joining us for Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast.